I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. Yo, what's good, everybody? Welcome back to the Celtics Pod. I'm back from vacation. I'm ready for the new season, and I decided while Wood and Greg are starting their new jobs, what better way to kick off the Celtics pod coming back from hiatus and bring back the original co-host of this show, the one, the only, the Mr. Brendan Nunes. What's popping, Brendan? Not too much, man. Original co-host. I forget that that's a thing sometimes, to be honest. Um, at least when it comes to Celtics blog specifically, obviously we had our previous Celtics podcast. How was your vacation, man? Yeah, it was good, man. It was warm, like very, very, very warm. I uh, spent most of it, like most of it, you know, midday start drinking drink consistently until like <laughs> midnight uh it was good though like it was a family holiday so i weren't trying to get drunk out there i just kind of kept like a nice vibe throughout the whole week uh you know chilled down on the beach a bunch they had this dope marina it was about 40 minute walk from where we were staying and like there was loads of like yachts and boats and that and that's where everyone ducked it but they built like um like a, a whole like mall outdoor mall around the outskirts of this marina so you could go and get food and drinks and you'd be looking out to all the boats coming in and the yachts going out and that was pretty dope so uh but it was good man it was good not, not a much needed break yeah and now back and i don't know about you but it doesn't feel like we're very far away i think end of this month is the start of training camp and like there was a dead period for me where I was kind of fiending for basketball. And I guess I filled that in a little bit with some Eurobasket. But now I like feel like we're close for the first time. Yeah. So I think the thing with me was this has been the longest off season in like two or three years. Right. So like not having that and then getting those quick turnarounds season to season and then getting thrown into this off season where for like for anyone covering the Celtics, this season felt like it never ended because it, all the way to the NBA Finals, into Game Six, multiple Game Sevens in the playoffs, and you're like, man, this season feels like it never stopped. Like it just for and now I'm like, man, when I can't remember the last time I was chilling watching a game in the mornings. Like you know, got that tea on the go, chilling with my notebook, taking. The, I miss it, dude. I miss that grind. Well, it'll be back soon. Uh, that is right. I forget that the last two off seasons like since we've fully dove into this have been shorter that makes a lot of sense because for some reason i wasn't thinking about that i was like man this is taking forever but forever. can't relate to your you know getting to watch until uh or getting to cover your team until the finals but hopefully i get at least a play-in game from the king's point of view this time yeah but. so this brings us on to like the first first thing right the last time you were on this show you'd just been given and i mean like within a couple of days you'd just been given your first ever press pass to a game. So you'd gone to your first press pass, like first game was press. And, you know, if I recall, it was kind of like a, we don't know when we're going to be able to do this for you again. So savor it, right? And now all of a sudden, you know, fast forward through the season, you're part of the furniture, like Brendan Nunes at Sacramento Kings Media. You you, had, you built a good relationship with Tyrese Halliburton while he was there. Uh, you know, every time the Kings Media kind of like post-game stuff gets posted online, everyone can hear you asking some questions. So you went from like the, hey, here's a taste of what you want, but we might not have to be able to give it you all the time. So, yo, Brendan Nunes is like, he's locked in in that Kings beat. So how's that year been, man? Because that must be a dope going from now and again. Well, from nothing 
to now and again to yo yeah i'm cemented in here now yeah it happens fast you know like i don't hear you say it and this is i mean every time we talk and i like say something out loud to you or you say something to me i feel like we have to like check ourselves of like, you'll listen to what you just said and how cool this is because we just get so caught up in going from day to day, you know? And I think it was kind of that. And honestly, like the only getting in for day by day passes, I think was a good thing for me because it didn't allow me to just like sit there and just take it all in. It was like, okay, I'm here for one game right now. I better be asking questions and asking good questions. And then, cause you know, there's, there's people in those rooms that maybe have been sitting there for two years and only asked a handful of questions. And then you get super in your head about the fact that you haven't asked questions. So I, I think it was a good thing for me that I almost like, I guess, had that pressure on me in a way. Um, and it worked out pretty quick, you know. Um, obviously, you're doing good for yourself, too, man. I, I mean, I think that it's very different markets. Like we talk about a lot. Like, I, I think I also got a little bit lucky with Sacramento market not being as populated. But you get to cover a winning team and in a whole lot bigger market. And definitely you've been a great help in it and picking your brain all the time. So I appreciate you, man. Yo, man, you, me and you are boys, man. So everybody, I'm sure everybody, long, like OG listeners will know that me and you are in contact all the time, you know? So, and new listeners now know that me and you are in contact all the time. When you need that, everyone's got that one guy, right? So like, you're my one, like you're that guy for me. I kind of expect me to be that guy for you. Whether yeah. I'm, so, you know, and that that's just me being like, Yo, bro, let's scratch my back, man, to at least lie. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into it, man. So, uh, obviously you're covering the Kings. It's not the same because they never win. Um, and it's not like it's a rebuild. It's just like a, it's a decade long rebuild. It's just like a, Hey, we're going to tear this down and build it back up. Oh wait, we made about 12 mistakes. We're going to tear it down again. And then we're going to build it back up. And I'm throwing a bit of shade just because why not? By the way, everybody, if you don't remember, <clears throat> excuse me, Brendan is the biggest Peyton Pritchard denier. So just remember that <laughs> when he starts giving you some evaluations. But from afar, so from all the way over in NorCal, you, you watch the occasional Celtics game because you grew up a Celtics fan. What was your like high-level kind of analysis of the season from Udoka to Tatum to the way the team played? Like what? what and then any hot takes you want to throw in there, you'll be my guess, man. I mean, I think obviously Tatum like evolving into stardom was expected and he was kind of already at that point, but to see him fully take that next step was big. And I still think there's another step to take to be like a superstar level type player. And one of those top five players that can carry a team to a championship, because, you know, I, I kind of lean towards the, sure the Celtics went to, five games, um, six games, excuse me, in the NBA finals. But I still think that they were a little bit further away than maybe what that can lead you to think. I, I think that there's some teams in the Eastern Conference that I feel pretty comfortable placing above the Celtics this year. And I worry a little bit about their center depth um, and, and some of the age of, of those guys or injury concerns when it comes to that. So I think that obviously they were really impressive. One of the most interesting things to track for me was definitely the coaching evolution. Uh, with Ime Udoka of how it was such a tough start at the beginning. And from the outside looking in, I'm seeing these comments of um, guys pretty much seemingly like throwing shade to each other and the coaching staff in the media. And I was like, oh my God, this is an absolute mess. And to see the flip just switch uh, was crazy. And it 
kind of happened against the Kings. The Kings had one of their lowest moments in Boston. They lost by like 50, which is horrible for me as a guy that grew up a Celtics fan and then now covers the Kings. I get two games all year. And one of them, they got absolutely embarrassed in the worst fashion I've ever seen in my life. Uh, so I guess I was glad that the Kings could help them uh, turn it around. But it was crazy to me how quick that uh, that flipped. And uh, again, Tatum evolving into a star. I still think there's another level to take there. Jalen Brown being that ideal complimentary two guard. It's uh, definitely been interesting to me to see them make it work without having a primary traditional point guard in the sense of like a creator for others you know Jalen and Jason have taken big jumps in that regard Marcus is an okay uh, passer but I don't know that he's creating advantages and then dishing it off to people after the after the fact so I I think and I know you've been Adam uh, wanting a more traditional point guard a pass first point guard on this team but making it work without that was something that was pretty impressive to me and I'm a guy that loves defense so Obviously, uh, you know, seeing it still hold true, the defense wins championships or gets you to the championship, even if your offense can maybe a little bit set, be a little bit stagnant sometimes. The Celtics seem to be ahead of the curve forever, just valuing these wing creators. And you saw that pay off fully last year. So there's a lot to unpack here. So I'm going to go bit by bit and I'll give you my, my bite backs or my takes as we go along. So the first thing we need to unpack is I want you to name these teams that you feel are above the Celtics coming into the season. And there's no shade, you know, everybody's got their opinion. And I, even I think there's some teams in the East that, you know, that are viable threats to Boston making it back to the finals. But I want to hear who you've got. I, I think that they're going to be in a tier. So I, I think Milwaukee is tier one for sure. And that one is easy for me. I think if they're healthy, they probably repeat last year, to be honest. Like Chris Middleton, known Celtics killer. You know, I definitely was still a Celtics fan when he was going crazy on the Celtics in the first round um, in those Terry Rozier years. So I think Chris Middleton there, the Bucks probably repeat. And then we're talking about this upcoming season so differently. Um, so I, I think the Bucks are in that tier by themselves. And then after that, I, I just kind of think it's a big grouping. Like, I, I think that could I see Boston away coming away with the number two seed? Sure. I also could see Brooklyn. I know that's a really hot take, but, and it's all going to depend on what their chemistry looks like. But roster wise, like, there's a chance they have the best player in the NBA in Kevin Durant, the best defender in the NBA in Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving. And then they have the ideal shooting complementary pieces around with Royce O'Neill. Seth Curry, if Patty Mills is going to get some run, um, I think Markeith Morris is a decent pickup. Like I'm really high on Brooklyn's roster. And I think if that meshes, which is a big if that like they could win the whole thing in my mind. But I I think that they're kind of in that same tier as Boston. Philly is obviously there. I, I think that James Harden should have a different level of motivation this year. And I think it, it swung a little too far in the opposite direction of saying that, James Harden just like, isn't that guy at all. You know, I think he's still a star. Is he an MVP in the league? Probably not, but he has Joel Embiid. And if they have an off season to kind of work through their chemistry after the handful of games that they played at the end of last year, Tyrese Maxey takes another step. I think Tobias Harris gets a lot of crap because of his contract, but I still think that he's a quality third option, fourth option maybe, because I think Tyrese uh, Maxey could be that third option. So I think that Philly is in that grouping as well. Montres Harrell is a really good pickup for them as a backup. Yeah, Anthony uh, Melton too. That was Anthony the big Melton one for me. Anthony Melton is a great get. Yes. 
Um, my, and then Miami, obviously. I, I think that their defensive, um, their caliber of defense has been proven time and time again. I worry about their creation for sure, but can you see another step from Tyler Hero? I, I think that Kyle Lowry just didn't look like himself last year. And I, I think that he has taken a step back. He's just a little bit older, but maybe I'm just writing it off or expecting more and that's unreasonable. But like, I don't feel like that was really Kyle Lowry last year. It didn't feel like the type of production that you typically expect from him. Um, so those are kind of the group of teams that I have there. And, and I like the couple teams after that, but I don't think they're in the same, like actually contending for the East. So it's less of like, I for sure think a lot of teams are better than Boston. I think Milwaukee is for sure, but I could see Boston being at the bottom of that group. I could see them being number two also, but I don't think it's crazy if they finish fourth or fifth. Yeah. And like, you know, when you're playing for seeding, if you're not in that top two, then the rest of it's kind of fine as long as you just avoid the playing at that point. I think for me, I wouldn't say that Milwaukee is out and out better. They have the best player between the two teams, undoubtedly in Giannis. Uh, Chris Middleton is probably, you know, I'd put if you he'd be fourth in my list if I was joining the two teams together. It'd go Giannis, Jason, Jalen, Chris. And then if you want to swap Chris and Jalen between each other, then fine, go ahead. I'm not going to argue with you too much there. But I do think that the depth side of things, I think Boston are just as deep, if not a little bit deeper. But when you're looking at two very evenly matched teams, the one with the best player has to be put in front. So I can agree with you putting Milwaukee in that tier. Uh, Philadelphia, I think, have improved tremendously throughout the offseason. You listed some of the guys. PJ Tucker's another guy they've picked up. It's going to be a big-time pickup. Miami, they've stagnated for me this offseason. They've lost a few guys. You know, Markeith Morris is gone. They lost Tucker. They lost a little bit of like end of bench depth. And they haven't really brought anyone in. The only name of note was Nikola Jovic from, through the draft. So they had issues coming into the offseason, some creation issues, a little bit of scoring issues. They haven't really put, made any moves to put that together. I feel like, you know, that Duncan Robinson trade is just kind of waiting there to drop, similar to what the Lakers and Russell Westbrook are. So I, wouldn't, I don't have Miami in that tier at the moment. They're always going to be a tough team, but I don't see them as currently constructed being a threat because they're all another year older. It was an old team to begin with. So I'm not too worried there. But yeah, I think Philly are, Philly are legit, Brooklyn legit, Milwaukee are legit, Boston are legit, and then, you know, Cleveland as well. I think Cleveland could take that spot where Miami were, so that's fair. I can't argue with you there. I, Next, I have a question for you. Go ahead. Is Alf Horford going to age at some point? Like, no. he's 36. Like, I thought that maybe he slowed down in Philly. And then I was like, oh, it's just because he was playing the four. That was the issue. He plays the four in Boston. Obviously, a different dynamic with Robert Williams. Like, do you, how much do you worry? Because I assume everybody worries that, like, the potential of Horford slowing down. But how real is that worry to you? Yeah, so it was a lot less concerning when Gallo was still healthy. I'll tell you that much. You know, because the notion behind bringing Gallo in is there's a guy that can help you kind of, limit Horford's minutes or limit Rob's minutes depending on which guys banged up throughout the season you had multi-positional versatility uh, you know great scoring solid at rebounding good size if you want to play him at the five now I'm not saying Gallo's a good defender because he was and I said this on another podcast the other day if you look at the Atlanta Hawks there's very rarely a way you can look and be like I know how to make this defense worse 
You know what I mean? Because it's awful anyway. You just like Gallo into the five, you're like, no, they figured out how to make their defense worse. So Gallo at the five isn't exactly great, but it gave you another big body, right? So I am concerned because they don't have that cover anymore. Some That one guy that can slide between the four and the five and like legitimately give you solid minutes, veteran minutes with some floor space and then some scoring. So that's just going to put a little bit more workload on Al. And I'm not concerned about him aging as much because his game's never been based on athleticism or explosiveness. It's very much based on skill. And I've said this before, Al is fantastic at defending the angles. And I think that's where Al's biggest um, defensive upside comes. He just knows how to angle his body, how to take away passing lanes without needing to be there. He just cuts off lines of sight. Um, so I think like that's that's kind of an ageless form of defense. He's big and strong, so he can absorb contact. Offensively, he's not really sprinting the floor. You know what I mean? He's coming up, he's setting screens, he's picking and popping. He'll be down in the dunker spot. He'll be stepping up and whatever. So I'm not concerned. I'm just more concerned about managing those minutes, keeping him at that, that 22 to 26 minute a night type of range. And to do that, you're going to need another body and you know, everyone used to call him average Al. I'm calling him ageless Al right now because that's how it feels, right? But I'm not sure who that buddy is to help kind of spell those minutes. I think you're going to see Grant Williams take a little bit of a bump in, in production, like um in minutes, in playing time. And I think Al's going to take that little bit of a step back. And there might even be a stretch in the season where Al comes off the bench just because you're trying to preserve his buddy. But overall, I, I am concerned. I was a lot less concerned before Gallo went there. Yeah, that makes sense. And maybe you just see like more small lineups. You know, there's a decent amount of guards yeah. on the team. Like Tatum and Jalen both can play the four. I think Tatum more so. But if you need to put Jalen there in a pinch, I, I think that you can. And and then you go with Brogdon, Marcus, and, and White. Like there's a lot of guards and even Peyton Pritchard somewhere in there. Um, so I, I think that there's a lot of options there. I, I think when it comes to Horford, you have a great point with like the angles. And I don't worry about anything on offense like like you laid out. For me, like if there was regression where I would worry is the lateral speed, right? And the angles are, are a good way to kind of cover up for that. But that's, I guess, like if there were to be regression, that's where I would be concerned. Yeah, especially when he's playing the four. And you can play the angles as much as you want, but if you don't have that lateral quickness to go side to side, then you you are going to get exposed a little bit. Now, the upside is, the way the Celtics run their defense is you're always going to have that Robert Williams weak side roam, like roaming weak side, ready to come and deter that shot or block that shot. But you you don't want him to utilize him too much because team like one thing I noticed towards the end of the regular season and the Celtics went kind of like switch one through four, five and drop in the playoffs. So you didn't see it as much, was teams were starting to bait Rob into that rotation before kicking it out to that weak side guy. Right now, the way Imiudoka set that up was Rob was always guarding the worst shooter. So you live with that shot. But if they're running a, a weak side hammer set, now all of a sudden, when that ball gets kicked out, you might have a good shooter kind of coming coming off a screen and fading in. And the guy that Rob was guarding has um has you know relocated. They, they, they like to call it um, I can't remember what the set's called now. I'll find out and I'll put it in the uh, comments. I can't remember off the top of my head what it's called, but there is a set where it's designed specifically for that type of uh, notion. So it's it's definitely a concern. Uh, for me, I think that Al's so like such a heady guy knows what knows how to guard the angles, knows how to kill those passing lanes. It's not really a huge concern, but as the season goes on and teams start to kind of 
try and wear him down and stuff. Yeah, it's definitely something to worry about. Yeah, so, it'll be interesting to track. And then uh, Robert Williams' injury concerns too. Never know. Yeah, the Rob ones worry me, but you kind of live with it, right? So this was my biggest right. thing, right? Like, you've got Al, who's aging. You've got Rob, injury prone. And it is what it is. You know, he's still one of the best bigs, the best young bigs in the league. You just, you know, you're not going to have him for a full, for more than 60 games a season, 65 games. You had Brogdon, injury prone. You're not going to have him for more than 50 to 60 games a season. Gallo goes down. Marcus Smart's always going to miss time because the dude just throws himself through brick walls. Jalen Brown's always got that knee tendinopathy he's dealing with. He's going to miss time here and there. And then he's got that hamstring issue. Jason Tatum, you know, you're going to want to try and get him some rest. So the depth is definitely a big thing for me, which is why I'm so like, yo, you need to replace Gallo. But the one thing, you, the last thing you said during like your overview was about Marcus Smart at point guard and not being a true creator, not being a true traditional point guard, right? And there's very few of them out there. You know, Tyrese Halliburton's kind of a throwback guy. You know, there's a reason why everybody loves Tyrese's game. You've got Ricky Rubio. You've got someone like um, Tyus Jones. You've got these guys, but they're not the elite anymore. But what I did like about Marcus Smart, and I will say this, like he impressed me with this, was when Marcus Smart was on ball as the ball handler, he was very good at using his body to kind of like fake guys out. He his eye movement was solid. The way he kind of, he drags out a lot of plays. So what I'm saying is like when Marcus Smart comes over a screen, instead of just looking for the pass straight away, he will continue to dribble around the perimeter. And that's called dragging it out for anybody listening. You're dragging the play out. You're dragging it around the perimeter. And the reason you do that is because then you're dragging defenses with you. The, the low defense needs to shift to that side to kind of prepare itself for any drive you've got the high up like the point of attack defense is following you and what that allows is for cutters to come off the weak side or for big men to slip and passing lanes to create that way and Marcus Smart was exceptional at doing that last season he'd drag it out he'd kick it or he'd get off the ball early and then flow into a screen kind of like a kick ahead into a screen and then kind of just pop over to a weak side corner somewhere and just kind of space the floor a little bit so Smart wasn't an elite playmaker and he wasn't an elite, an elite shot creator but he was an elite guard in his role and brad stevens always said all we want you to do is be a star in your role and i think that marcus smart really stepped up to the challenge of being that starting guard last season yeah and it definitely helps with the advantage creation of tatum and Jalen. you know i think that that was that's one of the main things also that i think is maybe a little bit more prevalent like when i think of like a traditional modern guard it's somebody that's able to create the advantage and then just make the read from there. And so the other guys can continue it. And I think Marcus does a really good job of continuing it while Jalen and Jason are more of like the traditional creators. Like I think like even Darius Garland definitely doesn't fit traditional point guard, but I think he's more of the modern point guard and like he can make that extra skip pass and it doesn't have to be the connective one. Um, and, but he's also the one that's the reason that that skip pass is, an option and, and be able to create that initial advantage. And Boston obviously has that with their two elite wings. Yeah. So smarts IQ and reading of the game is exceptional, exceptional, you know, processing speed. I used to hate that time and I've kind of come to like it now because like he, he does have great pro processing speed or as you Americans would say processing speed, but uh, he does have great processing speed. Okay. Jokes aside. So moving on, the one thing that I kind of bought you onto this show to do was to get, you know, just a bit of 2K talk, a little bit of fun. We're still deep into the off season, dude. Like, if this was 
a transatlantic flight, say it's 11 hours long, we're on like the 9.5 hour mark right now. You know, bored, kind of restless, waiting to waiting to get to the destination. Not much to really do. You've watched all the good films on the in-flight entertainment system. You're kind of just like, yo, how long until this is done? So that's where we are in the off-season using that analogy. So, you know, 2Ks kind of came along and be like, don't worry, I got you. Yeah, you can stop talking about Alex Lynn trades for the, uh, for the shoot, what is it that you guys have? Why am I drawing a blank on the term? Sacramento never gets any of these. When you try to play her out. And then TPE. You, yes, thank you. I don't know why I was drawing a blank. Yeah, we can stop talking about Alex Lynn into TPEs and to entertain ourselves with some 2K. Oh, man, Alex Lynn into a TPE is just pointless. Right, so... Here's one. So we're going to start at the top. We're going to work our way down. And I'm going to be surprised if you know the last name on this list. Maybe the last two names. And number one, obviously, Jason Tatum. He's got a 93 overall. And what we're going to do is you're going to be, it's fair, overrated or underrated. So Jason Tatum, a 93 overall. Fair. Um, I, I think I pulled up this listing and I hope that this is right, but it has him sitting at ninth best. You know, it's, it's easy to say that that sounds low, but I think it has to be like compared to everybody else's ratings, you know, and when Kawhi sitting at a 94, Lucas sitting at a 95, like I think 93 for Tatum is fair. Jalen Brown, your guy, the guy that you once phoned me and told me me and Jalen Brown are best friends now because <laughs> he retweeted one of your tweets, quote retweeted actually. Is it an 87? And Tatum again is a 93. 93 yeah. I think that's fair. Um, Jalen is a guy who I think is a really good second option, but definitely has some flaws in his game. I, I think from taking him away from that like 90 plus, I, I think that's fair. Robert Williams, an 85. Uh, I'm going to say this is overrated, to be honest. Overrated? I I think I see – I obviously see the potential. I think that it's just a little high for me. Like, is Robert Williams already an all-star caliber player in the league? And may, maybe that sort of range. Like, this says that he's listed at 44 in the league. I, I guess that's right about where I would expect it. But I, I kind of think that's – a little much for Robert Williams. I think that the size obviously is really appealing. And I got to say, I'm also saying this because De'Aaron Fox is an 84 and that is the most underrated thing I've ever seen. And if you're trying to tell me De'Aaron Fox is worse than Robert Williams, I will not hear it. Who's the Aaron Fox again? Yeah. You know, you I'm know only joking. the fastest player in the league, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, you know what to say about fast guys. No, I'm only joking. So <laughs> here's my take on it. Here's my take on it. Robert Williams proved himself as one of the best big men in the NBA last season. Ranking him at 85 kind of solidifies that. He's not a floor spacing big, so you can't really bring him too much higher to begin the 2K ratings. They improved them throughout the season. You've got to give a little bit of wiggle room to up those ratings throughout the year. But I will say that he's also one of the best passing big men. He's He can be, if you give him the opportunity, he can be exceptional in the short role. He can give you some post-creation. He's definitely started to work in that midi. He was taking a few more of them. So that short roll shot creation might be there as well. And then as an offensive rebounder, defensive rebounder, lob threat, 
is fantastic. 85 seems a little bit like I would have liked it around that 86, 87 mark. But if you've got Jalen at 87, it's really hard to convince me that Rob should be there too. So 85 feels about fair in terms of if Jalen Brown's that ceiling, you can't surpass it. You've got to keep Rob a couple of marks down. So I do get it, but I thought Jalen was a little bit underrated too. A so, couple other 85s, uh, 85 big men, DeAndre Ayton, Kristaps Porzingis, and Jerry Allen with Robert Williams. That is not a group that should all be together. No. Jerry Allen Porzingis should be there. specifically? Like, yes, let's calm down. I mean, you might as well have just put an injured sign next to Porzingis and just left it there with a question mark at the rating. Next yeah. one, we've got Malcolm Brogdon at an 82. Hmm. Talking of this injured tough. Signs. This is tough. I, I guess, yeah, he deserves the same injured sign, which is what makes it tough. Like, when healthy, I think it's close to fair. I'm going to say a little overrated as of right now. And I think that that's because the role that he had in Indiana just was so unideal for him. Like, to ask to, cre- to be creating to the level that he was, I think is just not the best version of Malcolm Brogdon. I, I think the role more so that he was playing in Milwaukee. And then maybe there's an even better aspect of that because he did get some reps as a creator. So maybe he's just better at that, but only has to do it here and there when he's already presented advantageous situations rather than having to create the advantage himself. Right. Um, so I, I think that that's a little high, but I could totally see that being reasonable. I, I think that it's just like, I, I don't know that the Indiana moments of Malcolm Brogdon went amazingly. Yeah, so let's be fair. Brogdon played more one in Indiana, more two in Milwaukee. So does it, like it's telling that in more of an off-ball role, Brogdon is more impactful than he is on-ball. You know what I'm saying? And like you said, there's a world where the amount of on-ball reps he got have improved him. So if he plays off-ball, when he does get on-ball for shorter stretches, as you've said, you're probably going to see a better version of him. So I agree. Another guy at 82, ageless Al. Where you at with Al? 82 overall. I'm saying underrated, man. I I mean, I think that... I think there's also an aspect of this to me where, especially when we're talking 2K, right? If you already have the build, the height, and the length, that is an inherent advantage in the game. So your stats better like make up for it. Al does not have the build, right? And this is partially why I probably said that Robert Williams is a little overrated. I think when you have that sort of uh, build already to you, maybe your stats should be toned down a little bit. And I think it should be opposite way with Al. I, I think Al's stats should be a little bit more kind to him because he doesn't have the most ideal build, uh, but I'm sure he's still going to be knocking down triples and, as long as he's moving his feet all right on defense, I, I think the 82 is a little bit, a little too low for me. Like for Brogdon to be where he's at, to Bro- for Brogdon to be below, I'm sorry, above Horford and Smart is is a little much. Well, they're all me. joints. They're all on the same ranking. So Smart is also an 82. Okay. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I don't know. I'd have Brogdon below them as of right now. I'd probably have Brogdon like an 80 and these other guys a little higher. Like what, like an 83? Yeah, something like that, 83, 84. Like you really put the defensive player of the year on 82, by the way? Uh, do, do you know what I'm saying, bro? Come on now. Come on now. Do you know what I'm saying? This is what I'm Disrespectful. Yo, straight up disrespect. Derek White at a 78 overall. Hmm. 
Bearing in mind, he struggled shooting, but he was good defensively. And I've said this on a bunch of different podcasts, so I'm just going to reiterate this here. I've said it here before, but I want to reiterate for any new listeners or any listeners that missed that episode. Derek White might not be the best shooter, but he's an exceptional cutter, which is one of the more underrated skills in the NBA. He can create driving lanes for guys just by knowing when to time his runs, knowing when to sprint, knowing when to walk. He's an exceptional small, small screener, so inverted screens. He's not going to give you the numbers offensively. That's not really his game, but he's going to give you solid perimeter defense, and he's going to be able to carve open lanes for you just by his movement. Now, if we do want to kind of bash on Derek White for not being a great scorer. Just remember that everybody was backing Marcus Smart all the way through his early years because of his defense and his basketball IQ when the shooting wasn't there. So if you're willing to defend Marcus, you need to be willing to defend Derek White because the two guys have very similar games. Yeah, and I mean, I think that White is a better shooter than what we saw. Like, yeah, he struggled last year, 31% from three, and it's also 31% on his catch and shoots. The year before, 34% and that's 37% on catch on five catch and shoot attempts per game. Like I, I think that the extent that he struggled from beyond the arc last year is probably an outlier in my mind. If you go back even to 2019, 20, they're only 36, not only, but 36% from three, but 39% on catch and shoot threes. Like I, I think that he's a lot better catch and shoot three point shooter than what we saw. And maybe there's just an adjustment of getting used to, his new teammates and, and vice versa, his teammates, the guys that are setting him up, getting used to playing alongside him and knowing uh, each other's tendencies, I think is a really important aspect. And that'll just continue as White gets more reps. I think it's fair. I think that White is, a, like you mentioned, a good cutter. He's just like a prototypical guy that came up in the Spurs system, right? He does everything yeah. well. He's super smart. He's a really solid defender. And he's just not making very many mistakes out there. And I think there's so much value in that. I have, I mean, this is definitely like comes from covering the Kings that have that traditionally had so many players that just like were making mistakes more often than making the right decisions. So I think good decision-making is just so important in the NBA, specifically on high caliber teams. If you're going to be a rotational player when it comes to uh, later rounds of the playoffs. So I, I think 78, it was 78. I think that's fair for Derek White. So we've got Danilo Gallinari. We'll hit this one quickly. He's a 78 as well. Way too high. Yeah. Way Even high. when he was healthy, I, I, I didn't see him as being an integral piece of that rotation. No, he can shoot and then like attack a closeout only because they're sprinting at him. So he's attacking like a super hard closeout and then make okay reads from there, but nothing all too crazy. And he's, I mean, is it an overstatement to say he's one of the worst defenders in the league? He's horrible on defense. Like, yeah, he's old as he's just old. He's lost it. He's lost every bit of step. He hasn't lost a step. He's lost all of the steps. There's no steps left to lose. Yeah. Um, so no, I, I've I, I've been big on Gallo not being as good as what people were hoping for for a while. Grant Williams on a seventy-seven. Huge jump in freeze, huge jump in perimeter defense, huge jump in basketball IQ. Just a, overall, in my opinion, just a huge jump everywhere. 77. 
Absolutely. I, I think this is fair. I, I think that Grant is another guy like Derek White. There's just a really ideal complementary piece, which is why he was such a key factor for Boston last year. And and by the way, being able to step up and make all those triples that he did in that Milwaukee game was just absolutely ridiculous. Like it's so there's so many players that would Miami, sorry, yes. Um, there's so no, many bananas. It was bananas. Oh, got you. Got I was you. doing the Gwen Stefani song. This got you. is bananas. The only reason that every time I have to spell bananas, I sing that to myself. Me too. Sure. 100% me too. And I think more people do than more than don't. Like it's, it's just a part of today's time and age. It is what it is. What's that new uh, show? That, that new YouTube thing with the ABCs. Have you seen it? No. Oh, let me find out. Zoe. What's that YouTube show with the ABCs for kids now? Uh, I think it's Grace's Corner or something like that. Grace's Corner. It sounds familiar, actually. <laughs> it's really good. It's like rap. Um, it's like rap ABCs, but like done in a really clever way and like really mm-hmm. good word association. Uh, but anyway, back to it. Grant Williams. I I think the 70, 77, right? 77 yes i think that is a fair rating for grant williams does all the little things well a damn good three-point shooter um also a solid defender obviously so i i and i just think a really good complimentary piece is exactly what you want i think a 78 is a fair rating 77 sorry peyton pritchard your boy peyton pritchard i know you were stoked about this draft pick at the time 76 overall Man, I saw something the other day that what didn't like wasn't it voted on by other players that he's the most underrated guy in the league? Oh, one Am of I remembering them, yeah. this right? One yeah. of them. Like seventy six is fine because seventy six is not high, obviously. Um, I just feel like there's so much hype around him, man. He's like, so good, dude. Like I he's not it. fantastic, but like, is he ever a starter? His, uh, do you know what? I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Let me pull that up. No, but do you, do you think in his future, like, he'll oh, be a no, he's not. Like, but no, no, no. He's starting okay. on your team, but, but, and it's not because of injury. Like, if you signed him to start, somebody made a huge mistake. What for I'm sure, saying is he sure. could be one of the better secondary guards. You know what yes. I mean? I'm just making sure I'm on the same level as everybody else when it comes to this hype, because that's not saying that somebody's a bad player if they can't be a starter in the NBA. They're still no, a phenomenal not. player, obviously. But I'm just making sure that I'm on the same level with where everybody's like hype is exactly, and that makes sense as an underrated guy because like he could be, uh, maybe maybe this isn't the case, but like with the guard rotation that Boston has, there's like it's not crazy to look at his roster and be like, wow, where does he get minutes? Um, and I, I think that's where maybe the underrated label fits a little bit. I'll say that I'm still going to say that that's a little too high just because I don't think he's proven it enough in the NBA. I think you've seen the flashes, but I think for somebody that's only played as much as he has up to this current point, that maybe that's a little high for me, but not, not much. Sam Hauser at 71. You're a big Sam Hauser guy, right? I'm not big. I just think that as a single skill shooter that can score from spotting up, can score from movement, was almost a 50-40-90 guy in his final year of college, missed it by like two, like 0.4% on free throws, came into the into the NBA, shot around about that 40% mark on limited attempts. You know, he's not going to give you much of anything else. He's definitely a single skill guy. 
some decent size to him at six seven. Like I just think if you're looking for somebody that's just gonna fill that Duncan Robinson role throughout the regular season, I think he's gonna do that on, on very good value for his contract. Seventy one is really low for like anybody. Once you start to reach like sixties, I always just like struggle. You know what I mean? Because like, is there really anybody in the NBA that like deserves a sixty? And I get it's all relative, but this, this is where it's a struggle for me. No, Schroeder. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Pretty I'm funny, joking. Pretty funny. Uh, he had a couple nasty moves for Germany. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, he's um, good. yeah, he, he does all right for himself. I, I'll say a little bit overrated just for the same reasons that I said for Pritchard. Of I need to see it more at the NBA level. Luke Cornet. Luke Cornett, Luke Cornett, 70 overall. Bear in mind, this dude's primed to play a huge role for the Celtics. I think that's a problem for Boston, to be honest. But you were pointing out to me the last time, uh, I think when I got you on Kings Pulse, that I probably was underrating Cornett a little bit. So I think that that's an okay rating. I'll say... I'll say that's fair. I mean, I think it maybe should be a little bit lower, but like not much at all. I, I think that's fair. Mifandu Cabangela, 70 overall. King's legend. They traded for him at one point and he didn't play a single game. But what was what was his overall? 70? 70. Oh god, no. No, no, no. <laughs> Overrated. Overrated. <laughs> yeah definitely uh people have hyped him up off summer league so he's going to be like the biggest summer league hype bust in a long time i feel like he's um, been in the league for a little while no yeah he's been around yeah i think he was if i'm remembering this right he was one of those first rounders that didn't get his options picked up that's right i think yeah, late first, right? I think the Clippers yeah. picked him and then didn't pick up his option from what I remember. And that tells you a lot. So yeah. the last guy is, and I, I haven't got his rating and I haven't got like played uh, as the Celtic. Well, I haven't played the game yet. So I don't know where he is, but it's definitely in the 60s, like the high 60s is J.D. Davison. Super operated. I, I see the potential with Davison. I was impressed from the few summer league moments that I saw. I, I thought he was maybe a little bit more, not as raw as I quite expected. And was he 60th pick? Yeah, right? Yeah, he's like really, I don't know if he's, I think he's like 58th. Okay, yeah, he, he's super late. And Keon Ellis is my guy, and, and they were teammates uh, at Alabama. I definitely see the potential with Davison. I think when you're taking a super late pick that I like going for upside because there's no like safe bets late in the draft, you know, might as well just go for this upside swing. But right now he'd be a mess on an NBA floor. Absolute mess. Like it'd be horrible. Yeah. He might be a mess in the G league. Yeah. Like, I've said it. I'd be shocked if he was a starting guard in the G league to start his <laughs> tour. Yeah. And, like, that's not a knock dude. Like he's ridiculously athletic. He's got a bit of a good, like, you know, he's quite controlled on the ball, but, his decision making is not great. His shot making is not great. It's kind of like a poor man's Russell Westbrook, but not the good Russell Westbrook, the modern day Russell Westbrook that isn't good anyway. It's just not. It's just not working out very well right now for JD Davis. And there's still hope though. He's got a high ceiling. It's one of those, and it high ceiling, low floor. Where you're gonna fall? Like where you're gonna and land? That is in the end. absolute fine value for where he was taken. 
yeah, high ceiling, low floor. And then if it works, it works. If it doesn't, see, this is what I've said about Brad Stevens, man. He looked at all the all the vitriol thrown at Danny Ainge over the years for his draft picks. And he was just like, yeah, I don't want none of this. I'm not dealing with it. I'm going to trade away all my firsts. Don't want them. Don't need them. You can't judge me on draft picks I didn't make. <laughs> and what I'm going to do is I'm just going to take really late second round swings. And when they pop, because one or two of them will, you're all going to say I'm the best drafter in the history of the Celtics, and I'm going to visit in June. And this is where the difference between the teams we cover is like, this is one of the areas where it really is emphasized, where the Kings can't take an upside swing and expect for it to go well because you're bringing them into a bad culture. And a lot of these guys that like, not a lot, but there's a handful of guys that are maybe fallen because of concerns with their personalities or say work ethics but you see the raw potential in the talent and i i think that the culture is so important you can bring a guy like that in and bet on your culture your coaching staff your surrounding pieces to help him reach that potential you know like the celtics have a better chance than most teams of reaching of guys reaching their potential and the kings have a worse chance than most teams most most teams. Uh, so the other thing I'll point out is like for this, if you're if you're a two-way guy for the Celtics in the Brad Stevens as president kind of era, and we're only entering the second year, right? But if you're looking at you're like right, last season they had Sam Hauser, they had Luke Corner, they were the two-way guys. They both have full-time deals on the regular season roster right now. You know, they're both here next year and they're both projected to have a role. Like that's going to make you willing to put the extra effort in because you can see that kind of production line. You can see the clear path towards an actual opportunity on an NBA floor, right? And then you add the culture in, you add the coaching system in, the players around you that are like all super hungry, um, successful within their own right. Like that's what think like that's what Sacramento is trying to work towards. It's just not really working out for you right now. Yeah, over the last decade, but you know, I, I, mean, I think it also yeah. is helpful to guys on the outside because most second rounders, unless you're early second round, how often does a guy fall to undrafted and you're like, I don't know that he should have been undrafted and he gets picked up instantly by like Toronto. And you're like, okay, he probably decided I don't want to get picked in the second round and I'm going to choose where I go. And I, I think that this is becoming like more and more common. And not only is it good from the Celtics point of view, well, it, this is what I'm getting to is still good from the Celtics point of view, but not, I think it's also important to think of like the free agent players point of view where it's like, Hmm, do I want to go to Boston or do I want to go to a team? Like, I, I guess I'll throw Sacramento because I don't have a great point of reference for the other two ways. And it's like, uh, you know, there's more playing opportunity in Sacramento maybe because they have a worse depth, but it's been proven in Boston that those two ways will get their opportunity and have been able to shine in their roles and get to step up from there. You know, there's some teams that just don't utilize their two ways and give them that opportunity. So not only does it help Boston by they're getting these guys that are just able to help in the rotation i think it just also makes them an even more appealing landing spot even though they're already probably at the top of a lot of people's boards yeah i'd agree with that completely i, I don't think i can argue with that in the slightest can't relate though no, no of course you. not no, you, well, you made the decision to move on and cover the king so you know read what you saw, brah it's true 
I mean, you're in the locker room, like you're in the media, like you, you're legit now, bro. You're uh, you're verified in King in the Kingsland, so uh, I think you made the right decision. To be fair, it's going all right. Can I ask you one final thing? You can. Are we through the ratings? By the way, yes, yes. Okay. Final thing, and sorry if you've already touched on this. What do you think of Cleveland? <laughs> uh, as a basketball team. Yeah, I'm not yeah. trying to joke him Noah you and ask you about this interview. Have you seen this interview? Yes, right? It's the greatest interview ever. I haven't seen it. It's Joakim Noah when the Bulls were playing the Cavs in the playoffs, like he was getting booed a lot, right? And he's like, Yeah, I've been how does it feel or whatever? And he's like, I've been booed a lot my whole life. And he's like, It doesn't really matter to me. Like he's like, I, they hate me in Boston. They boo me there a lot. Um and somebody asked him about Cleveland because I guess it happened because he was talking bad about Cleveland. He's like I've never heard anybody say I'm going to Cleveland on vacation. Like what's so good about Cleveland? (laughs) No, but I I mean with Donovan Mitchell, because I I really, I'm a big Darius Garland guy, even bigger Evan Mobley. I would probably bet that Evan Mobley wins a defensive player of the year at some point in his career. Jared Allen was an all-star last year. I don't know that I quite agree with that. I think he is a really good player and probably borderline, Um, but they have a solid all around squad. Where do they rank in the East, though? So the thing is, yeah, when you look at the Cavs, or when I'm looking at the Cavs, I'm like, right, Donovan Mitchell's biggest issue is defense. You need to be able to hide him defensively. And you, the best way to do that is have someone you can filter the offense towards the same way that Utah kind of funneled everything towards Rudy. Cleveland can do that and funnel you to a back line rotation of, J- of Jarrett Allen and Evan Mobley. You know, you can cover for... Mitchell's defensive liabilities because you have so much depth. Isaac Okoro is another guy you could slot in on the wing and ask to kind of help pick up the slack a little bit. Mitchell gives them a whole new gear offensively. You know what I'm saying? They've got the rim runners. They've got the floor spacing bigs. They've got Darius Garland. It's one of the best young guards in the league. I think he's exceptional. They had a scorer in Colin Sexton, an on-ball scorer. And what they said was, Colin Sexton is 77 to 78 overall, and we can trade him and Lowry Markkinen to get ourselves a, a high 80s, low 90s overall Donovan Mitchell. And you do that because you're simply upgrading the position. Sexton is a scoring guard. He, he's going to shoot at volume. He's going to give you what you like. He's going to pitbull his way to the rim. He's a really, really good player. Donovan Mitchell was an upgrade. And I think it puts them in contention for that. Like any, like, you know, I could see them finishing fifth. I could see them finishing third. Like I think that losing Lowry was a big fit, a big hit for them because he was a big part of like their their three man kind of monstrosity of height. But when you've got Mobley and Jarrett Allen, you're going to be fine. So I think that Mitchell. Cleveland was actually one of the best landing spots for Mitchell in terms of being able to accentuate his skills and hide his flaws. Don't know if that answers your question. Totally, totally agree with you. I, I think I'm really interested to see what this year looks like, but I think more so I'm even more for or agree with the move from Cleveland because it's not just about this year. Like Darius Garland is still ridiculously long, young, as is Evan Mobley, obviously. Are you going to get anything out of Isaac Okoro? That's a big question for me. I had Okoro second in that draft, and admittedly, I'd probably look a little crazy for that right now. But I, I think Okoro has shown a lot of potential as a defender. 
And when he puts the ball on the floor, his finishing is good. And he's been a really good passer. It's just that he can't hit an open shot to save his life. If there's a little bit of progress there and maybe at the start of a new season, if he can gain some confidence, because I think confidence, obviously a very big thing for shooters. And when you see opposing teams completely ignoring you, that's going to get into your head. So if you can start the year knocking down shots, that would be huge for Cleveland, but it'll be interesting to see what happens this year. But I think it's good for them that the gauge of success shouldn't be all about right now. Obviously, they're going to want results. I think getting out of the first round is probably what their goal should be right now. Do I think that happens? Probably not. Um, but I, I think that it's possible. And there's a lot of reason for optimism, even if it's a first round exit in Cleveland with how young that squad is. Yeah, so we've like touched on the Okoro bit. This is a like this trade actually helps Okoro because you're not needed to be that offensive guy. If you can be a de- like a solid defensive piece, which I think he is already, he's quite a good wing defender, and you can be a connector, somebody that can you know pass the ball a little bit, be that second link in a free like in a free pass chain, and just connect plays together, and then slowly start rebuilding your confidence in shooting. I think Okoro's definitely. I don't, I wouldn't have him second in that draft, but um, as a as just like a a free and well, no, it wouldn't be. It'd be like a a passing and D bench wing. I think the summit there. So, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if they got through to the second round. I wouldn't be shocked if they were in the playing. Like I think it's going to take time. You know, Donovan Mitchell's going to give them the offensive boost that they need. But you still are super young, as you said. You know, Mobley's young as hell. Jarrett Allen's still figuring out how to play alongside somebody like that. Darius Garland is exceptional, but he's going to have to learn how to play alongside such a a ball-dominant scorer as Donovan Mitchell. It's going to take time, but I do think that that trade was like one of the best places that Mitchell could have ended up. And it also gives Colin Sexton an opportunity now to go to Utah and be the guy that they need him to be. And I think that, you know, Sexton can probably give you 80 to 85% or 75 to 80% of what Donovan Mitchell was giving Utah. I think in that role, he could be like Sexton could benefit greatly. It'll definitely be interesting to see how uh, Sexton performs. And and I think it's easy to also forget with Cleveland, like Kevin Love finished second in six man of the year voting last year, which is crazy, but it was well-deserved. It just was unexpected at the beginning of the year. There's still Karis LeBert on that roster that if he's healthy, that's a real piece. Chetty Austin, it seems like everybody for the last two years is waiting for him to take that next step and be that starter because right now the three guard spot is, is still pretty open. Could he take a jump? You never know. So I, I think that there's definitely, yeah, reason for optimism. And also last thing I'll say is like, I commend Danny Ainge for absolutely clear uh, sticking to, we don't care about mediocrity. Because as somebody that covers the Kings, it drives me insane um, when teams are just okay with mediocrity. And I love what Danny Ainge is doing in Utah. I think fully resetting is is great. And if he's proven, if he proves again that this is the right way to go about it and gets a top three to five pick in these next two or three drafts and you see it turn around just like that, I, I would love for this. To, it's in a very interesting case study to me. Victor Wembenyama. Yep. Scoot Henderson. There's, there's definitely a lot of interesting pieces. And uh, as you've seen with Jalen and Jason, all it takes is one or two guys to like legitimately turn your franchise around. People think it's crazy, but it, it really happens that fast. And with that, we'll call it an end to the shot. So before we go, Mr. Nunes, let everyone know where to can find you, bro. 
Yeah, I appreciate you, Adam. Uh, I guess it's Brendan Nunez MBA on Twitter. And if you're for some reason interested in any King stuff, it's uh, King's Pulse on any podcast platform and, and YouTube included as well. I'm doing an off-season series right now, uh, going through all the other 29 teams in the league and recapping all their moves. So definitely relevant to the rest of the league as well. Just at a Charlotte one, and I was shocked at just how bad Charlotte's offseason is. They did absolutely nothing. They got worse, like a lot worse, to be honest, and some of that was out of their control, but definitely some content that goes just beyond uh, the Kings. So I appreciate you having me on, Adam. Keep up the great work as always. Of course, man. And if you are going to head over and listen to Brendan's podcast, make sure you listen to the Celtics one because that was with me. With that, Everybody, I'm going to catch you again on Wednesday. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Stay sassy San Diego. Or is it stay classy? Stay classy San Diego. There we go. It's late for me. Please forgive me. Um, And we'll be back later in the week. Peace. Disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a first down. One play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the majors. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might fail. And I might too. I might never get to pop champagne. Celebrating with the crew. This ain't everything I am. It's something that I do.